Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Of every race, background, religion, and creed, every child of every color, born and unborn, is made in the holy image of God. Well, friends, good evening. I want to talk to you tonight about electing our next president, and uh, welcome to Praying for America. I'm pro-life leader Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. It's so great to have you with us. Some of you are regulars. We really appreciate the fidelity. Some of you are newcomers. We really love to welcome you, and uh, many of you are Catholic. Many of you are not Catholic, and I appreciate the nice comments that I get from people of all other denominations, knowing that I'm a Catholic priest, but uh, knowing that we share the same spirit, the same word of God, and uh, I appreciate all the nice comments that I get. We are a movement that spans denominational lines. We are a movement that loves Christ. We are a movement that loves America, and we are grateful that you're a part of it. So tonight, I want to talk about electing our next president and some of the trends that we see in the elections of 2024. It's my conviction, I've expressed it here before, that we need to be focusing now on the general election. I mean, we still have a lot to happen with the primaries, I understand, and I respect those that have different uh, electoral choices in the primaries, but I really believe, you know, President Trump has this nomination wrapped up, I think, by March the 5th, the, the Super Tuesday, he'll be the, the nominee. But I think starting from now, we've got to focus our efforts on how do we get make sure the Democrats don't hold on to power in Washington? How do we make sure the Democrats don't hold on to the White House? How do we make sure we can take the Senate as well as maintain or increase the lead in the House? How do we make sure of these things? And how do we get the voting mechanisms strengthened, the infrastructure for collecting ballots? That's got to be our main concern. And I'm going to talk a little bit about where this election is going to be um, Decided. Lots of stuff here, important stuff. You know a lot about it already, and I always benefit from hearing your insights as well. Your comments are most welcome. Start with scripture. As always, I want to go to the book of the prophet Joel, because, you know, in many ways, let me just pause here and think, think about this. Election or act of repentance. Do you ever think of it that way, spiritually speaking? Elections are and can be and should be for God's people acts of repentance. Because our country, obviously now, as most Americans agree, we're going down the wrong, the wrong path right now. And as most, more and more Americans realize, we are under attack internally is the greatest threat. Progressives on the left, radicals, destroying our country destroying the right to life, or destroying freedom, destroying businesses, destroying the nation. So when we're going down the wrong path, that means not all of us, but a good portion of the public got us into that mess, voting the wrong way. And an election can be an act of repentance whereby we reject the mistakes of the past, say, that's it, you know, this has led us into too much trouble, we're changing course, repentance, metanoia, changing of the mind, turning around of the mind, so that what we thought before was okay, we now realize was not okay, and we go down a new path. This is what an election can be, a turning point. But we turn 
precisely because we realize on a moral and spiritual level that we've made a grave mistake. Let this election of 2024 be an act of repentance. Let's stir up our fellow believers to that. So that's what this reading, that's the theme this reading hits upon. The prophet Joel, chapter 2, starting with verse 12, Yet even now declares the Lord, Return to me with your whole heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments, and return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, notify the congregation, assemble the elders. Gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare, O Lord, your people, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. Let us pray. Lord, have pity on us. We pray for America. Have pity on us because we have made some serious wrong turns. We have done damage to ourselves, to our children, to our future, to our unborn. We have done damage, Lord God. And others amidst us have done even worse damage because they hate our country. Have pity on us, O Lord, and raise up voters, even now, who will turn this country around. Raise up your people. Awaken their consciences. Educate their minds. Strengthen their spirits. Raise up your people. May we act in repentance. May we reclaim your name, your law, your commands, your justice, your truth, your holiness. May we reclaim it all for this nation and set ourselves back on the right path. Spare us, O Lord, the destruction, the punishment for our misdeeds. Spare us, O God, and lead us back on the path of what is right and true, the road to the common good, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the only Lord, the only Savior, the only hope of humanity. Amen. So 270 electoral votes are needed to win the presidency. Now, interestingly, over the last, uh, well, let's, since, since the elections of 2008, over the last couple of decades, the Democrat and Republican presidential nominees have each carried 20 states. 
80% of the states, in other words, have voted the same way in at least the last four presidential elections. We have a certain, we have a period now where we have a certain consistency, a certain, certain stability among most of the states. That doesn't mean they can't change, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't work to make them change. Certainly the other side tries to work to make them change. Oh, we're going to turn Texas blue, you know. The Democrats have been saying that and haven't been doing so well with that recently. But, you know, the fighting spirit, you know, on both sides. You know, we got to reclaim all the territory for our, our views, our principles, our, well, in our case, we're talking about the very principles America was founded on. So there has been, in, uh, you know, in these last several election cycles, an unusual amount of consistency. Only 10 states since the 2008 election have voted at one point for a Republican president and at another point for a Democrat president. What are those 10 states? You're going to recognize a lot of patterns here familiar names that you consider swing states in the election. These are 10 states. Now, this is not saying they're necessarily swing states now, although many of them are. This is saying these are the 10 states that the only ones, the only states, that in the last four presidential elections have sometimes gone Democrat, sometimes Republican. Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Now, you look at those states, and there are four that have not voted for a Democrat presidential nominee since Obama, and those are Ohio, Florida, Iowa, and Indiana. So many would consider these are no longer really competitive. Pennsylvania, only God knows what happens there. Okay, that is a complex state. Let's put that in its own category for the moment. You look at the rest of them. Michigan and Nevada basically lean Democrat. They're winnable for the Republicans, but Michigan and Nevada, they lean Democrat. North Carolina, competitive, but it does lean Republican. Here's where you get the authentic toss-ups and where this race is likely to be decided. And we would do well to focus in on these places, these three states. Georgia, Arizona, and Wisconsin. And when I say focus in, We've got to focus in on the voting mechanisms in these states, the infrastructure, the way that we're going to get balance. It's about votes, but being about votes translates into being about ballots. Getting the ballots, protecting the ballots, verifying the ballots, properly counting the ballots, all of the things involved in election integrity, and then getting out the mechanism, building up the mechanism from now. This is why, like I'm saying, we have to pivot to the general election here, starting now. If we're going to win this thing, we've, we've got to be focused on it from today. And 
when I say building up the voting infrastructure, I mean, where's our, where's our, our voter registration uh, mechanism? Are we registering voters like right now? Where is our mechanism for um, getting out the vote? For helping people fill out their ballots, for for uh, making sure that those who can't get to the polls are getting the absentee ballot, we have, we have to have a major mechanisms in place. We have to have armies of people set up doing these things from now. You can register someone who's going to vote in the twenty twenty four election in one of these uh, swing states right now today. You can check your own registration at checkyourvoterregistration.com. Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin. Give some thought, brothers and sisters, to what influence you have in those places. Some of you live in those states. People you know in those states. Opportunities you have to go to those states. Or, if none of that applies, would you be willing to make phone calls into those states? Because obviously you can call people from anywhere. Would you be willing to make social media posts that therefore people in those states can see and start building up the momentum from now? Now let's look at the last two, um, last two presidential, uh, uh, races. Okay. 2016, President Trump's victory over Clinton. You know, we think about this as a historic election. It was. There were about 136 million ballots cast in that election. You know, it was decided by 77,000. Of all those 136 million ballots, 77,000 votes decided the election. Pennsylvania, by a little over 44,000 votes. Wisconsin, by about 22, 22 to 23,000 votes. These are all 0.7%. And Michigan, by 0.2%, that's 10,704 votes. Wow. It, we're not talking about an astronomical number of people deciding these presidential races. In 2020, if you just look at the ballots, okay, putting aside question of whether these ballots were fraudulent or not, or whether all of them, all the proper ballots got counted, that's a whole other question. But looking just at the ballots that were tabulated, even less, 44,000 vote margin decided this election. When you're looking at how presidential races are decided, that is by the Electoral College, right? 44,000. Where? Georgia, Arizona, and Wisconsin, the three I just told you are pivotal swing states. 44,000 votes. Pivot. Pivot to the general. Now's the time. We can't start thinking about this next summer. We can't afford to start thinking about this even next spring. We got to think about this now. What can we do in these states to register voters? When does early voting begin? How are we going to get out to early voting with the intensity that we have always kind of reserved for election day? 
with intensity from day one of early voting and get our people out there. How can we recruit from now people to become precinct committee men and women? We dealt with this topic in one of the recent shows on this series. How can we now recruit people and train people to be poll watchers and poll workers? Get our people in there where these ballots are being collected and counted. Now's the time to build up the infrastructure. We're doing this. If you go to ProLifeVote.com, you'll see the place where you can sign up for these online voter training seminars. And, and, uh, and we're helping people to connect with this kind of activity, brothers and sisters. As far as the primary, President Trump right now, you look at the numbers, he's projected to win 93% of the delegates in the primary. You look at the net, more recent morning consult poll, Trump is at 59%. The next, next closest is at only 16%, uh, Governor DeSantis. Look at the swing states in particular, the, the early, uh, the early primary states, New Hampshire, um, 43%. President Trump with nobody else in double digits, nobody else. And 62% saying, you know what? Even if they committed a felony, if he were convicted of a felony, of course, he didn't commit any crime. But even if he were convicted by one of these biased uh, juries but for, of a felony, they'd still vote for him. There's another thing going on, two things going on here that I want to point out in terms of... Uh, um, dynamics in the election. Biden's favorability has been falling. Now I'm talking about his personal favorability. You can look at a presidential candidate from the point of view of personal favorability to people like him as a person. And on the other hand, people's assessment of his job performance. Okay, so Biden we know has had very, very low job approval ratings. Very, very low in the high 30s. That's low. Um, but the personal likability has been somewhat higher. I see in Biden, oh, he's a nice guy. You know. President Trump, on the other hand, people love his policies. There's a lot of people that love his policies. And um, you got a certain portion of the electorate who they don't like his personality, even though they love his policies. So the personal favorability tends to be less than the performance favorability. Now what's happening is, given the revelations that we have a man in the White House who's a foreign agent, whose family is guilty of, of bribery and extortion, of wire fraud and of money laundering and service to countries who are enemies of America, this guy's personal likability has been dropping. And that spells trouble for him. You got low personal likability as well as low job performance. Why would anyone vote for you? So right now we see Biden down by some seven points in four key swing states that will decide the next election. Down by seven points. In June, CNN had a survey, 56% of U.S. adults said they had an unfavorable opinion of Biden, with only 32% with a favorable opinion. And an NBC News poll this past spring showed 70% of Americans, including more than half of Democrats, saying Biden should not seek another term. Okay, now there's another dynamic happening. With all of these investigations going on, the media 
is trying to black them out with all of the, the whistleblowers that are coming forward, the tape recordings, the documents, the bank records, getting the Bidens in more and more hot water. And this is one of the reasons for the personal favorability numbers falling. But with the Bidens getting into more and more hot water, you know what's happening? People are saying, well, wait a second. Why are we not being told these things by the mainstream media? Why did they, for example, recently when uh, Devin Archer was testifying, the, uh, the uh, business partner there of Hunter Biden, and the media was, it was, a, it was a, practically a total blackout. The media is not showing the American people what's going on here. There are a lot of people who are feeling like, you know what? I don't like being lied to. I don't like these people covering this stuff up. And you've seen the pattern. We've commented on it before. Many other commentators have commented on it. That as soon as, you know, because of some testing. So a lot of people are looking at this and they're saying, hey, I don't like being lied to. There's a media blackout. You know, every time something bad happens with uh, the Biden investigation, bad for the Bidens, that is, some whistleblower comes forward or or some hearing unveils some new evidence or things really start looking bad for them. Notice those are the times then when some new indictment comes out about President Trump. You know, they couldn't do it two and a half years ago. No, no, no. They have to do it now. And they have to time it precisely to try to cover up and distract from all this negative stuff coming out about the Biden corruption family. So there's a dynamic here. You know, American people don't like being manipulated. The American people don't like being lied to. And therefore, you're going to have a certain number of the electorate who are not hardcore one way or the other. They're going to say, you know what, I'm going to vote, I'm going to vote for President Trump just out of uh, a, a spite. And, 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 and I might not be formulating it in these words, but they're saying, hey, I don't like the other side manipulating me. I'm going to support this guy. And I think that we're going to have a, a certain amount of that going on. The other thing about President Trump um, and the nomination. As I say, I'm, I'm convinced he's got the nomination and uh, we'll see that wrapped up by Super Tuesday. But, you know, there's certain people now that are worried in the, Demo in the Republican Party that if for some reason that should not happen, that the core Trump supporters, a good 30, 35 percent of the party, uh, the, the core base, won't come out to vote. You know, you've got people who are the Trump coalition. And it's because he's running that they're coming out to vote in the first place. And uh, what if he's not running? Well, then, again, I really, I really doubt that there's going to be any change here. But Republican strategists are concerned that Trump not being on the ticket would mean a voter turnout disaster for the party. This came out recently in, uh, in, uh, in, in various news reports. 71% of voters who backed President Trump participated in the midterm election. 71% of those who backed President Trump came out for the midterms versus only 67% of voters who supported Biden. In other words, there's a drawing power on the part of, of President Trump. And if somehow he were not the nominee, Republican strategists are convinced it will hurt turnout. He's got a unique coalition, one of them said. He brings a lot of non-traditional voters to the Republican Party, and it would be difficult to win in these other races without him. Okay, before we finish and go back into prayer here, I want to uh, 
bring up another thing that was in the news. And that is in regard to, you saw some things on this some weeks ago, in regard to Supreme Court ethics. You know, it's amazing how the left, as corrupt as they are, will try to project corruption on everybody else. And because they don't like a lot of the decisions that have been coming out from this Supreme Court, where we have a conservative majority, thanks to President Trump, they will start at questioning their ethics. And um, Justice Alito made a, a comment about this um, recently in terms of, uh, you know, chatter about, you know, Congress doing something about the ethics of the Supreme Court. He said, I know this is a controversial view, but I'm willing to say it. No provision in the Constitution gives them the authority to regulate the Supreme Court, period. The Supreme Court is created by the Constitution. And so is Congress. And the Constitution purposely has set up a separation of powers. Different branches. Checks and balances in both. But you don't have a regulating of the Supreme Court. You don't have a, um, you know, let's impose an ethics code on the Supreme Court. And it's good that Justice Alito mentioned that because the point is that you've got people here on the left who are just... It's, 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 it's pure, purely, it's not a concern for ethics. If it were a concern for ethics, you know, they wouldn't be promoting abortion. They wouldn't be squelching conscience and religious freedom. They wouldn't be destroying the border and, and the country. That's not a concern for ethics. It's a concern for their own power and preferences in public policy to prevail by discrediting the court. And that's why they go after these uh, these justices on uh, after the conservative justices. Of course, you won't see this happening against Kagan or Sotomayor. They go after the conservative justices for so-called questionable activities from an ethical point of view. It's all nonsense, friends. It's all nonsense, and um, uh, good for Justice Alito for uh, for talking about that. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the blessings that you give us in this nation. We thank you for the um, freedom. We thank you for the structure of government that we have. We thank you for the court. We thank you for the Congress. We thank you for the presidency. And we ask you, Lord, that at this point in our history, when so much is under attack, when so much is being threatened, reshaped, redefined, disfigured, destroyed, that we, your people, will root ourselves in an even better understanding of our way of law and of life and will defend the institutions that have been given to us for the securing of freedom for ourselves and our posterity. Thank you, Lord, for these blessings. And in the name of your, of your gospel, in the name of your kingdom, we pray for America tonight. May the voters rise up with an informed and passionate electorate to be able to change course, to be able truly to engage in a national act of repentance that will take us, Lord, to the kind of leadership that we need. And we pray now in the words Jesus taught us, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, friends. Join us again next time. Spread the word about our program. And let's continue to increase our online audience. We thank you for being part of it. So connect with me on social media at FR Frank Pavone. That's FR Frank Pavone on all the major platforms. And by the way, you can call our office here at Priest for Life. We have an easy to remember phone number, 321-500-1000. That's 321-500-1000. And I mentioned that to you because you can call there and donate. You can donate online, too, at ProLifeGift.org. But you can call and uh, talk about ways of supporting our work and talk about uh, ways of being involved in our projects. Sign up for our election-related activities as well on our ProLifeVote.com website, ProLifeVote.com. And uh, we will talk to you next time. God bless you all. Priests for Life, saving lives for over 30 years. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.